Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hey there, beautiful people. I'm Hope Balfa, your IGC life coach, and I'm here to guide you on a transformative journey like no other. The Breakup Baddie is the ultimate podcast for those who are ready to break free from the shackles of bad habits, limiting mindsets, and one-sided relationships. Hello, lovelies. Welcome to The Breakup Baddie. This is our first ever episode. It's the pilot episode, and I'm so excited to have my dear friend, Kendall Ray Rothhouse, on the show with us. So she's very special to me. She's helped me navigate through one of the most significant breakups in my own life, um, my divorce from my husband of eight years, and my breakup with the patriarchal evangelical church. So welcome, Kendall. Hey, Hope. I'm so glad to be here. I know. I was like, who would have thought we would be here? Like five years ago, right? <laughs> so I'll just um, go ahead and tell the listeners a little bit about you. So Kendall's actually a reverend. Um, reverend Kendall Ray Rothhouse is a preacher. She's a poet, feminist, theologian, and spiritual director, and a preaching coach, and a good one at that. She is a published author and the co-founder and executive director of Nevertheless She Preached, which is a national ecumenical preaching conference designed to elevate the voices of women on the margins and the founder of the Soul of Preaching Project. Kindles a sought-after public speaker whose piercing insights into the human spiritual condition are delivered with poetic and rhetorical brilliance. She's an award-winning preacher and a spoken word artist. Kindle spent eight years as a senior pastor in Baptist churches in Texas, where, among other things, she left a legacy of fighting for LGBTQ plus inclusion in the church before leaving institutional church work to start her own business, working with individuals to heal from religious trauma and reimagine their spirituality. Kindle is a queer woman and the single mom of two adopted children who are the biggest joys of her life. So welcome again. So how's how's your day been today? Thanks. Uh, yeah, a little bit hectic. I'm, um, I'm glad to be here with you. I love this idea that you're doing of reframing breakup as not a failure, but actually maybe a wild success. Oh, thank you for saying that. That's exactly, you, you got it in a nutshell right there. I love that. So I want to start off with a little icebreaker too. So if you could hold on to one memory from your life forever, what would that be? That's such a good question. And I mean, reflecting on that makes me think, wow, I actually have quite a few, you know, Mm -hmm. memories that I'd love to hold on to forever. But the one that stands out to me, um, as you know, I've adopted two kiddos. Mm -hmm. And so the memory that stands out is when I got the call about my first baby, Layla. I fostered her before I adopted her. And I, I just remember you know, walking into the NICU to meet this baby for the first time. I, like, I remember this. I, I know, right? <laughs> and, and you have to wash your hands for three minutes, three whole minutes before you can enter the Gosh. NICU. And it was like the longest three minutes. And, and then just walking back and she was in the very back row of beds mm-hmm. and finally getting back there and seeing her little tiny four pound body for mm. the first time and picking her up. Um, I just, nothing like it yeah there's there's never gonna be another moment like that oh gosh how old is she now 
five yeah so five years ago guys it's it's been a wild ride oh thanks for sharing that and like she's such a feisty little nutcracker now oh my (laughs) god firecracker oh she's so i love her she's so smart and creative and just reading what you write on facebook about her i'm like where does she come up with these things i know right (laughs) and she totally fits the redhead stereotype Mm -hmm. for sure So, okay. So of the, I was checking out your website, mm-hmm. um, KendallRayRothhouse.com. And of these words and descriptors used on your website to describe you, which is your favorite one? So there's, they're great, by the way. <laughs> Instigator, truth teller, pot stirrer, lighter of fires, weaver of poetry, deep listener. Sounds like a dating profile. <laughs> <laughs> Healer of souls, dismantler of the patriarchy and builder of new worlds. I'm putting this all on my Tinder. <laughs> Builder tell me of how new that, worlds. Tell me how that works out for you. Uh, so which um, one's your favorite, like your badge ooh, of honor? I, hmm, I think I like lighter of fires, <laughs> you know, because fire, fire can be set to burn things down. Mm-hmm. Fire can be set to warm things up. Mm-hmm. I mean. <laughs> Ignite souls. Right. Like there's so much there uh, in that metaphor of, of burning. Yeah. Yeah. I like that one. I agree. I second that. Awesome. Okay. So I told everyone about, um, a little about your history and all of, uh, the brilliant things you do now with it, with the title of Reverend, but not in a church as people would assume, or they're used to seeing. So it's really cool that you're stepping out. And, um, I feel like coaching is like this new world that people we get to do where we don't have to be in an office or a church or agency Mm -hmm. that we can just help people, from our homes, even. Yeah, so, spiritual entrepreneurs. Spiritual. Oh, I like that. Call it, yeah. So, um, a little bit of background, a few questions for you. For one, did you ever think you would be a reverend? Um, so, the answer to that question is n- no and yes. Um, so, definitely a big no in that I, I grew up in Oklahoma in a really conservative evangelical Christianity, Southern Baptist roots. And so, w- I never saw women mm-hmm. preachers or reverends, you know, mm-hmm. so it wasn't on my radar. It wasn't in my imagination. And yet I have these memories being a child and like imagining myself talking about the Bible in front of crowds of people, which is basically, you know, preaching. <laughs> um, so it's it's interesting because it, 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 in some ways it wasn't on my radar at all. And in other ways, it was sort of bubbling up inside of me. It came from within. Yes. You hadn't even seen it before, right. but you already it came from your soul. Yes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Cool. So um, what led you to this or when did you decide this was the path you were going to take? Yeah. Um. I sometimes joke that my first act of rebellion in life was becoming a preacher. <laughs> I love that. It's like the oxymoron. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, it is, I mean, it's not even a, a joke, really, because mm-hmm. I, you know, I grew up, I was a rule follower. I was a super Christian. <laughs> um, and then I started feeling this tug towards pastoral ministry, mm-hmm. and it was like the women don't do that and only power hungry women even try Mm. you know and so it was this really deep soul wrestling that now is a little laughable to me but you know at the time it was very real like I was really rebelling um to even explore that um 
I feel like when we start making children like rebel in order to follow their calling into right. ministry, like what are we doing? <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. And so um, I do remember a couple key moments stand out. There was this moment in high school um, where I got to speak in front of a group of people and this man who I don't know, I, I still to this day don't know who he was, but he came up to me afterwards and he said, you were anointed. Mm. And I mean, I don't even know what he meant by that, you know, <laughs> but, but it was this affirmation mm-hmm. that using my voice in the world was a thing I meant to do. Mm. Um, and so that was, that was a really important moment for me. Um, and then I remember being in college and um, taking my first preaching class and um, I'd been taught my whole life that, you know, only men can hear from God and deliver sermons. Mm-hmm. And um, I not only really loved the class, but there were two other women in the class and then, you know, 15 guys or something. Um, and it was listening to them, actually, you know, when they got up in class to to deliver their sermons. And it was just like the veil coming off my eyes because I thought, mm, if they can't use their voices, that would be tragic. Hmm. You know, it's tragic. And and so it kind of took this whole wrestling that I was having inside of myself um, and made it, it made it a much bigger thing. Like this wasn't just about me. Right. This was about the suppression of half the population. Mm, right? That's so good. Um, so, and anyway, so those are two transforming moments for me. And then in terms of just being drawn to ministry in general, um, I think for me, it comes down to, um, I really love caring for people, particularly their souls, their spirituality, their emotional well-being. And then I just love good spoken word. And that's where the art of preaching is so important to me. Oh, Um, you're a damn good preacher too. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I was um, a congregate in one of Kendall's churches um, during one of the hardest years of my life, not just like relationally, but like in the country, Mm. it was so traumatizing. And so, oh, but just going to church on Sunday and hearing a message of like, just, it was sanity. It was like, not just love and acceptance and warmth and everything else, but just like, it wasn't the lunacy that we stepped outside and just heard like alternative facts and like gaslighting, (laughs) essentially like large scale gaslighting, um, on the, on the news or wherever, where it was like the things we knew to be true and real and factual and even scientific just became negotiable or like, no, you didn't really see that. You didn't really hear that. That didn't happen. And so it was like an anchor kept me grounded in a time where it was very disorienting because I'm, as much as I'm a, like I'm a Pisces and I'm a, this watery person or whatever, I'm also very intellectual and, um, like I need to have my feet like rooted into something stable and, you know, factual or something. And so you, I mean that I feel like I, I held on to my sanity because I had you to go listen to every Sunday and like your preaching style was just so it's poetic. It's spoken word. It's, um, yeah. And, and the imagery you use and like the creativity in which you like deliver a story from the perspective of someone that may be in that specific biblical story, like they were left out or their voices weren't included. That was always so powerful for me. Cause I was like, we, I went to Baylor and we Mm -hmm. had like religion classes and yet 
somehow I was like, these voices I've never even considered. Right. What did this woman in this story, what was her perspective? What did she think? And, um, yeah, you just gave literally like, I hate using the cliche voice to the voiceless, mm -hmm. but in reality, their voices for whenever, you know, it was all put together in this book, they were, a lot of them were ripped out of there and left out of there and stuff. And so it's like, you were giving them, um, a chance to, you know, and, and it was just all context clues and everything. And you're like, let's just imagine yeah. this story. But it was like, yeah, let's at least just imagine the fact that a woman's voice matters, you right. know? So yeah. that was real beautiful. Oh, thank you. I take that as a great compliment. I love <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I'll say that, okay, you, the reason why I, I thought of you first for my, the first podcast was because I was like, well, we're talking, it's the breakup baddie. And the most significant, like I said, in the kind of promo was that, um, I wanted to take what kind of, I still had a little bit of shame mm -hmm. of subconsciously mm -hmm. was my own divorce, which is like the way that I'm able to relate to a lot of people and help them in a lot of decision-making. I was like, I want to flip that on its head and talk about breakups in this new way of like, just liberating yourself from the things that hold you back. It doesn't even have to be a relationship. And so it could be a mindset. And I, I remembered um, a conversation you and I had had where it was so many layers to my own relationship where I was like, I don't know what to do. And I had all of these things and just peeling back all these layers like an onion. And you were like, wow, there are, I remember you saying, there are a lot of layers here. And I said, well, how do you know when, because you had already been through a divorce. Mm -hmm. And I said, how do you know when or if you need, you should do it? How did you know? And the best advice you gave me was just so simple and I've used it to help other people too. Um, when there's all these different variables and I, and you told me like, just if you're keeping your side of the street clean, if you're going to therapy, mm -hmm. you're getting healthy, you're getting, um, you know, you're just doing everything you need to do to get well and get better and healing and you grow apart from someone, mm. there's your answer. There's mm. really no, there's no interpretation left. Like there's no need to break everything apart. And cause ultimately, are you going to choose health? Or are you going to choose to go where you're disintegrating? And like no one, not even the person that you're forcing this relationship with benefits at that point. Cause yeah. you're just no good to anyone, including yourself when you're, when your health is deteriorating everything else. So to me, it was so brilliant that you were just like, just worry about getting healthy, um, healing and your inner child things, all that. And then just, just watch what happens. Mm -hmm. Sure enough, that, that was the only advice that really I needed. Cause like it did, it just worked. It, it worked itself out. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. you were right. So is that something that someone else shared with you one time or kind of, I mean, I got to be honest, you started that story and I thought, oh gosh, what did I say? <laughs> <laughs> it was so That's simple. I mean, yeah. Um, I think that that is what I, the conclusion I came to when I was going through my own divorce, you know, because I had been taught for so long that divorce was sinful. Mm -hmm. And then here I am walking, navigating this journey. Um, and I realized that I can't be responsible for how anybody judges this. I can't be responsible for what other parties do, how they react. The only thing I have control over is my own integrity. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's that's where my fidelity lies, right? Like I am faithful to my own integrity. And, and then the rest of the pieces, like you said, they kind of fall into place. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's just what I kind of figured out by walking through it. 
I know. And it's, it's wild because like you went through all you had to, like it all had to shake out and then you pulled your nuggets of like, you know, your gold Mm -hmm. that you could share with others. And there's like things that over the past five years I've gone through, it's like messy, hard ways. And, and then there's like things that I get to share now with other people that I'm like, I want you to have to, to be able to skip all the other, (laughs) the hard parts of figuring things out. And it's cool that like in coaching that you get to do that and share with people the things that you may have had to learn the hard way or pain, more painful. And not that, you know, the goal is to avoid pain. Um, Glenn and Doyle would not be happy with that. (laughs) No, it's just like, it's not, we're, we're not built to just avoid pain, but if you can, if, if I can help someone avoid unnecessary suffering, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to do. But if there's some, some, I mean, like you have to choose your hard because staying in a relationship is hard Mm -hmm. whenever it's, it's a painful situation and then leaving's hard. So it isn't, you know, we're not trying to help anyone just avoid all pain, but if it's unnecessary suffering, if it's unnecessary stress and strife, then, you know, why not share those little nuggets of wisdom that, you know, you earned through your own experience. And so I was super grateful for that. And you, like you even sharing openly about your own experience gave others permission Mm -hmm. to even explore that as an option and very much possibly save their life, you Mm -hmm. know? So that's just, um, I wanted to start out with that to kind of tie it all together as far as the breakup baddie and then my divorce and you and like how impactful. Cause I don't think that who knows, like if you wouldn't have been, you know, guiding me through that as my pastor and, you know, spiritual counselor, basically, um, I was like, where would I be? You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I honestly think, cause, cause we all know that stress can deteriorate our our cells or you know within our cells it just breaks us down and sometimes even cancer causing and so um my my blood work was showing like 12 out of 13 signs of early stage leukemia and that's not like something that I shared openly it was scary as hell and um but that was something that I knew had to change because if I'm having all these signs and symptoms of either an autoimmune disease or leukemia or, you know, something else that could kill me. I was like, well, something, something's got to mm-hmm. give because stress, stress can kill. Yeah. And so when you're, you've lived in for other people's expectations and they're what they think of you or what the world tells you you should be, I mean, you lose yourself and that can be stressful. Cause then you wake up every day wondering what the heck do I do next? What, who am I? Mm-hmm. You know? But then you found yourself. Then I found myself. <laughs> I did. Uh, so life's good. Uh, still hard, but but yeah. good. So, um, what? So was there a point when you decided that? Like, kind of going back to you and your career choice. But oh. was there a moment where you were like, "This is what I need to do," or like a conversation you had when you were like, "That's it. I'm I'm going into this." Um, like I church camp or something. Yeah, or? I mean, I think <laughs> probably. Um, kind of those moments I already mentioned Mm -hmm. really that were kind that were that were transformational for me and then of course it hasn't you know my ministry so to speak hasn't looked the same this Mm. whole time you know I at first I worked in churches and then I left institutional church work um, to do what I do now Mm -hmm. which is um, I work one-on-one with people. Yeah. Tell us about Um, that. I didn't really get to go into what you do now. Yeah. So now I work one-on-one with people who are, um, mostly from, with people who are recovering or healing from religious or church trauma, Mm. which guess what? There's a lot of. (laughs) So, so, so much. Um, and, um, 
so I was thinking about the transition out of church ministry into what I'm doing now. And um, I actually haven't, I don't think I've ever said this publicly, so hopefully I don't regret saying it on a podcast. But um, I was, um, I was actually, I was on retreat. I was still pastoring at the time and I took a bath. Baths are like this very Mm. sacred healing kind of thing for me. And I, it was like, as soon as I sunk into the water, this, this thought, or it wasn't even a thought, just this knowing came over me that was essentially shit. I'm in an abusive relationship again, but it's Mm. with the church. Mm. Um, and it was very eye-opening because when I left my marriage, it was like, never again. I will never, you know, I will right. never again place myself in that kind of position. And I hadn't romantically. Right. Um, but I just had this sudden awareness of the kind of relationship I was living um, with the church. And, um, and then I just, I knew because mm-hmm. I'd done it before. Like, mm-hmm. once you realize that you have to. You have to get out, or I do, at least. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we would hope that everyone yeah. else does, yeah. too. But, oh, how did that feel to the moment you're like, oh, crap. I didn't even realize it. How did it sneak up on me again? Yeah. It, you know, it was both, like, oh, shit, and relief at the same time. Because it's it's like, right. the you know, you name the thing that's terrible, and then you're like, oh, my God, like, and it, fe- you know, you feel it in its full capacity for the first time. And so it has this weightiness and there's some self-blame in there. Like, how did I, how did I, but then there's also this relief of just yeah. acknowledging the truth. Oh yeah. That you weren't crazy or yeah. that you weren't like, it felt wrong for, re- or there was like that tension or that rub there for a reason. Yeah. You weren't just asking for too much or not being enough for not following instruction or whatever. It's like all those gaslighting things again where you're like, no, I was, I'm not wrong. And this, and then you get, like you said, you get to focus on breaking free and like making the change, the relief that comes with that. Well, I'm so glad you did because I really feel like you're operating, you're still operating in your gifts and still helping people in a way that you get to, like you have that autonomy you have, that Mm -hmm. you you decide what your schedule is like and what you get to say yes and no to. So I love that. Okay. So now we're going to go talking about breakups because of the breakup baddie. Um, tell us about a breakup of any sort that was a turning point in your life. So it could be romantic, family, friend, academic, even a mindset or a habit. So a breakup that was a turning point for you. Oh my goodness. I have so many, <laughs> so many breakups. Um, I love when I hit you up for this. You're like, Oh, I've, I've got, got a couple one? I can draw which from. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I mean, in terms of a really clear turning point, my my divorce was definitely one um, because I feel like that's where I really learned that I could break up, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, if that makes sense. Like I, I learned that I, I could walk away from things, um, but really what I would, that's easier to pinpoint because it was a specific place in time, you know, like I know the year I got yeah, divorced, right? right? Huge turning point in yeah. my whole life. But the, uh, I actually think the, the one that's maybe bigger or has had a bigger impact in my life is my breakup with 
evangelical patriarchal Christianity. Um, and that one's a little harder to pinpoint. I don't have, you know, a divorce decree <laughs> <laughs> in my files to tell you when it happened. Um, and it was a, you know, it was a, a long journey. Um, so there are certain moments I can pinpoint. But that really has been the fuel for everything else. Right. So for people who maybe aren't from Waco or church background or um, religious background, how would you describe when you say a breakup from the evangelical and patriarchal church, what is that? What does that look like? How is it different like then and now for you or your, your view of your spirituality and everything? Yeah. Well, so I guess maybe it would be helpful for me to define mm -hmm. what evangelical patriarchal yeah. Christianity is. Um, and for me, I would say the, the sort of Christianity that I was raised in, that I inherited, it's very male-dominated, male-centric. Um, and then, but the most harmful piece of that is it displaces your own internal authority into an external authority. Mm. Um, so your spirituality in your sense of self it's all mediated down to you from a higher authority be that a pastor the bible you know a husband a husband <laughs> yes um never gets mediated to you through a woman um and and it it essentially results in a disconnection from the self and from our emotions and our sense of inner knowing um and I mean, I could talk theology and go down the whole theology trail with that, but that's, that's the result of it. Yeah. Um, we see it in so many of our systems, even if you're from like the West or the East coast and you don't come from a remotely religious environment, our systems in our nation even have been affected by. Oh yeah. American culture is totally saturated in it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you can see that in our political right. circumstances for sure. Um, and it's so fear-based. Yeah. Um, we're afraid of everything. You know, that's why we're, you know, trying to ban drag shows. And, you right. know. Um, but it's a, it seems like we're more afraid of feminine energy than we are mm -hmm. masculine like the 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 hyper masculine like like guns for example right yeah it's like, like, ban, it's like ban drag queens but yeah, not guns i, I was like because i'm always thinking about the dynamics of like energy and polarity and mm -hmm. and like masculine and feminine energy and like how basically i feel like our whole world is upside down on its head where we should trust more like women like feminine energy and leadership because it is compassionate empathetic but also women women can also lead where we we can balance um that the intuition and the creativity and like creative solutions and 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 that energy within us and then with the support of the masculine that would be more structured ideally more structured or disciplined or um yeah, just the, we we need we need both, but we've somehow been led to believe that like anything feminine is like reckless and just yeah. not to be trusted. But anything masculine is like we yes, gu Texas guns. Like I, it just throws me for a loop because I 
I know that even in people who don't claim to be religious at all, I'm still seeing globally the impact of like our widespread like mistrust for a resentment of or jealousy of like the masculine towards the feminine. It's just like this dynamic. There's a mistrust and there's like a, a desire for domination or being better than, you know, men, like the masculine for the feminine. And I was like, what, what would happen if, like you said, we never get things mediated to us through females or, or any type of um, women or feminine energy in our lives. I'm like, what would that look like if more of our world and we were, we just saw more women in leadership mm -hmm. and, you know, and I think you were the first ever female pastor that mm -hmm. I'd ever met before. And I was like, that just spurred on a whole different, like you said, that inner knowing and trusting your intuition and being one with yourself and, and, um, yeah, it makes you less able to be like manipulated and abused. Yes. And so I think that's yes. kind of the whole ploy, right? Yeah. I mean, well, that's what's so insidious about um, patriarchal Christianity is that it, it teaches women you were born a sinner. You, as the descendant of Eve, are responsible <laughs> for the world's sin. Um, you know, so the, the, the theology sort of props up that. Oh. That whole you can't trust yourself narrative. I'm so glad that you broke up with that and that yeah. you have taught others to break up with that. Even men, like you've, mm -hmm. oh, there's yeah. so many men that we know that we both know that like they are just so, they're fans of yours. They're grateful for your teaching and your leadership and it's helped them become better men and more balanced and more healthy. Because the, the thing about the feminine energy, masculine energy is if it's suppressed and repressed and everything, it shows up in the shadow, shadow mm -hmm. feminine. And so then we see these toxic ways of like the temper tantrums or the moodiness or the, you know, instability, the wishy-washy, like we saw in one of our most recent national leaders, a lot of shadow feminine. It's just the, I want what I want when I want it and bratty and moody and wishy-washy. And I'm like, I know a lot of women who could manage that their emotions better than that. And it's because they create space in their life. They don't repress their feminine and they don't repress their masculine either. They know they're good leaders and they step into that role. And so, um, just being more whole and integrated within ourselves, um, just makes the world a better place and I think the first place we should start is by challenging and unlearning and undoing what we've been taught about creation even from the very beginning mm -hmm. so it's like because that kind of shapes like you said our whole understanding of like women's role in the fall of man <laughs> goodness yeah, right it's like oh thanks right it's a bit of a burden to bear a bit of yeah. a burden <laughs> I'll say so, um, uh, aside from that, breaking up with that and like now you're, how would you say since you broke up with the patriarchal evangelical, um, type of Christianity, what is your faith look like now? What have you swapped it out for or replaced it with? Or? Um, well, if you want to know more about that, you can read my book. Ooh, yes. <laughs> yeah. what, what, which one? The second the, one? Uh, yeah. I was thinking specifically of thy queendom come, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I've, I've replaced that authoritarian style of religion with um, an authentic connection to my own soul. Mm. Um, and I have replaced judgment with compassion um, and fear with love and courage. Um, and, and my spirituality today feels so much more organic and 
rooted and 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 grounded and there's definitely a, a feminine uh energy for me uh around spirituality and god um that i was completely shut off to as a kid right i know even in the whenever we were at um like sure that you would say she instead of mm-hmm. he um or i did I, sometimes maybe you did both yeah. but i remember at least like I mean, it took even, it's like with the pronoun thing, everybody was still arguing about it. I feel like it's going to be forever that people are still arguing about pronouns, but um, even just changing that or just getting our ears attuned to like hearing it differently, it just helped us unroot, like shift that soul. that the roots were so deep in there of like God is only or like our divine or higher power only masculine only and like we miss out on so much about God life source creation energy like we miss out on so much by only acknowledging the masculine mm-hmm. I was like my faith and spirituality and everything looks so different now and because it's more well-rounded it, mm-hmm. the feminine is very very strong in the now which makes me more resilient and more right. strong and more um trusting my intuition and stuff like that so yeah it's all connected yeah so what is secondly what is a breakup that felt like it almost broke you and how did you make it through and recover Mm. yeah you know it's interesting I was thinking about breakups obviously in preparation for this and you know I think of for example like my divorce stands out as this really huge moment in my life that was really hard and mm-hmm. yet at the same time there's also this reality that while divorce was hard it was actually never as hard as my marriage you know facts um and so um i actually think the the breakup or breakups that almost broke me were um were the breakups from something that felt good and healthy um that that maybe I didn't have control of. Um, so one thing that comes to mind that I feel like we don't talk about nearly enough in our culture are friend breakups. Mm, you know, like mm-hmm. there's so much pain, I think, around losing friends, and yet we we don't have nearly as much conversation about those. Um, and then um, I was also, I was in a pretty serious relationship a couple of years ago that was good and healthy and stable and secure. And... So when we decided to end it, in some ways, it felt so much better and cleaner because we were making a mutual decision as two, you know, adults and we weren't betraying one another or being cruel to one another. And at the same time, it was like this rug of security just mm-hmm. got yanked out from like under loss. me. Yeah. And so the loss was really turned out to be more profound in that way. Um, and also, this is another thing I feel like we don't talk about enough. Um, financially, that was a really hard breakup. Uh, it was the first time and the only time in my adult life that I had allowed myself to be financially dependent on another person in any way because I was in the middle of transitioning from, you know, regular job in a church setting to doing this entrepreneurial thing. And in some ways, I'm so grateful for that relationship because it, it sort of allowed me this yeah. financial flexibility to like not have to figure it out. Mm-hmm super fast but then when that relationship went away and I was I was still building my business I was still figuring out my practice 
um, I mean, it was so stressful. And so um, it made it so much more apparent to me why some people do stay stuck in relationships that aren't good for them because you're not just losing the person, you're losing all these other Mm -hmm. structures of safety, potentially, depending on the circumstance, structures of, of safety and security around you. And so... I just, it was a very financially stressful year after that breakup. And and I had lost something good rather than other breakups where I have, you know, maybe feel like I have dropped off a, you know, big, I don't know, like a big burden, a big sack of bricks or something. And this was like, oh, like this was a different kind of loss. And I had to grapple with that in a very different way. So how did you, how do you think you recovered or stayed strong I don't want to say stay strong but like navigated through all those feelings and then you know to build resilience or whatever now yeah um you know there was lots of um just tears and crying and (laughs) you know all the normal stuff allowing space for that Yeah, yeah um I think some of the things that helped me the most are friendships you know relying on friends is so important and then another thing that's important for me is ritual Mm. and so I love coming up with different act like physical actions that represent what it is I need to let go of um I did that for when I got divorced I guess is when I first stumbled onto this the meaning of ritual for me because I was like, man, this feels like a death in my life, but mm. nobody throws funerals mm-hmm. for marriages. Mm-hmm. And so I threw one and, you know, and I, and I just crafted this, this whole funeral. Um, I mean, it was just me and a friend. It wasn't like, <laughs> I didn't like invite like, my neighbors invite <laughs> put it in the paper, right. but, um, but you know, and, and that ritual involved a whole host of things. Like I gathered up these sticks and then I threw them in the water and they represented things. And then we climbed I've up. I always love that about you. Yeah. You're the, you're like the ritual and the symbolism and everything. It's like, it's like magic, you know? It's, What's it? I think it's because we have to get these things out of our body. Otherwise right. they just stay stuck in our heads. And so it's not that the ritual, like I do the ritual and then voila, I feel no more grief. Right. But Every time I've done a ritual, I can look back and see it as this marker or this place where the energy began to shift. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't heal you like a miracle, but it's like there's a shifting that begins to happen. And so I've just continued to apply that in my life at other breakups, times I've needed to release and let go that I can't just think my way into letting go of something. I have to like embody it. Say that again. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, uh, yeah, and I I just, I I want to think, I I love my brain. I I want to be able to think my way into things and yet I can't, you know. um, So true. So yeah, I would say ritual. I love that. And I mean, it's even if we look back, because so much of like Western Christianity and like our society, everything, we've lost touch with like practices that like tribal things or indigenous folks do and stuff like that. And like there is something to be said about like grief and the significance of like using materials like sticks or stones or Mm -hmm. that's my sticks and stones. (laughs) Um, But the symbolism behind things and letting it represent and like, our obsession in I would say the states of like productivity output efficiency whatever like my brain I have to work with it to be like hey it doesn't there's perfectionism is like was a big struggle for me until Mm -hmm. I read the gifts of imperfection 
I think it was Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, but me going like, well, does this stick represent this or should it represent this? Or what's the best representation for And just being like, hope, just go with yep. your gut, your yep. soul, like like a child. You have, they exactly. would pick up you a have to stick be playful. and yes. just name it. And that's it. Because really it's you putting the power into it. Like yep. it's you get in. And, and because we've lost touch so much with, like you said, we displace our power somewhere else outside of us that we don't even think we have the authority to name the thing that represents our own healing. You know? Exactly. Like it's mine. Yep. Yeah, that so. inner critic. Yeah, my, I mean, just today, my girls were in the back seat and they got their like swim floaties on their laps uh-huh. and were pretending that the floaties were their cars that they were driving. I mean, it didn't even make so sense, cute. right? But it's like, they don't care. They're not like thinking, oh, no one else is going to see this as a car. <laughs> right? like, this doesn't look like the shape of a car. Right. Like it doesn't oh, matter gosh. because they've, they've made it the car. So, and that's the same thing with ritual. You have to embrace that childlike, like playfulness mm-hmm. and just say, it is what it is because I said it is. Yeah, that's this my imagination. Stick represents my life's greatest betrayals. Okay, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm gonna hurl it into the river <laughs> because all is perception. Like any, it, yeah. it, it is about our healing and it is about our um, like our peace and and the energy, like you said, flowing out of us or just being released at least bit by bit. And so if we say it means something in our brain, like cognitively and everything that we're pushing that energy out, doesn't matter what it is that we're holding, but it's just like that programming of like, there's a right answer and a wrong answer. It's like, if you, if, um, a little sidebar, but like white supremacy culture teaches us that if you, mm-hmm. if, if you're new to that concept, if you Google it, um, white supremacy culture is a whole description of the things that we see, like, especially in academia and, and other places in the workplace and stuff where we don't even realize that culturally it's like comes from white superiority and white supremacy is like cultural norms that we think like as white folk we're like oh these are just norms but like mm-hmm. no but it's a norm that's been put in place by you know the oppressor and and by the by dominant culture <laughs> by white people by the, the 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 quote majority which really isn't the majority and so um i like having one right answer like that's part of it and so what that did when freed me up from whenever i came across this in my social work education thankfully one of our instructors was like hey these are all like 50 things that you might not even realize are white supremacy culture and it helped me start pulling things out of me being like no i don't want like decolonizing mm-hmm. yourself basically mm-hmm. and being like no there's not just one right answer there's not right or wrong black and white and um so that speaks to that like you are doing that like in your own healing practices even being like there's not just one right answer and no one else gets to tell me what healing looks like for me and so you you give p- other people like me permission to do the same for themselves too yeah so that's awesome. What so I'm so intrigued by ritual. Is there anything else you did? Um, cause I, that one after your divorce and like after your friend breakup or like your last significant breakup, what are some other rituals or practices that people might like glean from or get inspired by that you've done? Yeah, I have. Um, let's see. I've I've buried some things um, <laughs> in the ground. Not people. Not, be, not, not people. Not nothing me. living. Nothing. <laughs> Inanimate objects. Um, and um, I have I have written letters mm-hmm. that don't actually go to anyone. Oh, that's a um, good one. So I sometimes I've written letters like to people that I'm not actually going to send. But I have also written letters to myself at, coming from another person like here's what I really needed this person to say to me like when you like for example when you really really need an apology and someone 
whoever is just never going to give it to you. Mm. Um, I've just written them for myself. And that has been really cathartic and healing to give myself what, what I know that I need. Um, and in a very literal way, almost. Yeah. It's not just being like, Oh honey, you have to give yourself what you need, but you're literally giving yourself a letter. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like writing it down and seeing the words on paper, you know, Mm. it's been really powerful. Um, cause what really matters is your belief that you deserve that apology. And that even if that person never gives it to you, even if they don't even think that they should, or they may not even be here anymore. Like what really matters is you acknowledging that that never should have happened or that was wrong. Yep. And yeah. And in fact, I, and cause I, I think ritual is really important um, on a personal level. I've had lots of private kind of ritual moments, but I also think collective ritual can be really powerful. Mm. I sometimes help create rituals for other you people. Do. And um, so one that stands out um, is there was a, when I was going through my divorce, I got, a couple of different, I'll call them nasty letters from people who were judging my decision Mm. to get divorced. And so what I did was I called together a group of friends who I trusted and they took the letters. We were all, I mean, we all sat together and we got out like craft supplies, basically (laughs) like construction paper, glue, scissors, all this stuff, markers. I was like, okay, do whatever you want, but just like transform these letters. And so like one person took a Sharpie and, you know, they just, they crossed out words until the, it actually said something nice, nice you know, constructive, <laughs> nice. you know, and someone else like cut out words and use those words to form their own letter. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, so everybody kind of took, you know, t- did their own style. Um, and one person wrote it like as if, you know, it really was a letter from that person, but redone. Someone else totally redid it as if it were a letter from God to me. Someone, you know, I mean, people just got creative with it. And the power of doing that in community, wow. you know, not just because then it was like, okay, I'm not sitting here trying to convince myself. You know how you can second guess yourself. Right. Like, am I the crazy one here? Mm-hmm. But to have a group of people say, this is how we see you. Mm. This is the truth we see. Um, that was really important. God, and that speaks to the power of having like solid friendships. Yeah. yeah. And creative friends. Yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. the best. I have a few. I am not the creative one. I just have two of my best well actually my three longest standing besties are all creative like crafty Mm -hmm. crafts and yeah they're the crafty ones I cannot draw a stick figure my children draw better than me it's (laughs) embarrassing so um how did you navigate the challenges of dating and relationships after a breakup without carrying the emotional baggage from the past experiences Mm. Well, the first answer to that question, I think, is therapy. Yeah, (laughs) hallelujah. Everybody go to therapy. (laughs) But I also think the flip side of that question is, you know, we think about emotional baggage, but I also think there's so many emotional gifts from every relationship that I have been in, even the ones that hurt me. Wow. You know, like I wouldn't be who I am today without those experiences. And so part of it for me is also reframing it that like, I'm not showing up into a new relationship as this wounded, broken person. I'm showing up to this relationship as someone who is fucking healed, you know, and I have strength because of that. I have insight because of that. I have self-awareness because of that. Um, I have, I have, I have so much more than I had before. Um, So yes, there's emotional baggage and, and I think being sure that I'm working 
on that in therapy emdr has been really helpful for me in particular um but then also realizing that i'm not i'm not as broken yeah you know even the word breakup right yourself from being like victim of something which i don't even like to say like oh we don't don't play big because sometimes you straight up are a victim (laughs) like someone victimized you but like you took that and said i'm not gonna i'm gonna look at all the ways the strengths i'm bringing from this i'm not gonna look at how someone else hurt me or how i was done wrong or whatever and i'm gonna look at all the ways that i came out stronger and better yeah powerful but I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Were gonna say something else? Oh, just oh, just the the the, the word breakup, right? Yeah. Like it has this connotation of it's something that something has broken, something has fallen apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, no, maybe I just evolved. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. um, like when trees fall off the I was leaves. Just thinking the same, right? I have the same exact <laughs> image. I was gonna say like a branch. Yeah, like, like for, well, we don't when the trees fall off in autumn. We're not like, oh, that tree is breaking. Broken. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> not breaking. It's it's doing it's, its thing. Fall. Yeah. yeah, that is yeah. so wild. Because I was like waiting for you to say your illustrate your what is it alliteration illustration. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> What's the, the grammatical term? <laughs> illustration. Um, yeah, illustration. But that's the image I had in my head was like yeah. a branch or something that like it breaks. But it's like that's what it's supposed to do in the fall. Yeah. And then regenerates, you know, and yeah. it's better and stronger and brighter. Cool. So um, looking forward. So what is giving you hope right now? I love this question because it's so broad. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be as simple as like dogs and flowers and stuff. But like what is giving you hope right now? Yeah, I, I, I well, first, I think I want to just acknowledge that it can be really hard to have hope right now, given the world that we're living in, mm-hmm. um, particularly as a queer person living in Texas. It's just incredibly disheartening. Um <laughs> And I would say the thing that gives me hope the most right now are my kids Mm. and maybe just kids in general. Like if you just hang out with kids, you feel a lot better about the future of the world than when you hang around grownups. Agreed. I I do concur. Um, Yeah. They're just, I mean, they have so much compassion and I mean, imagination imagination energy um and i just they're hilarious too you know like i yours you know, are hilarious. They're, they're very funny um and so you know i i watch the news and i think oh my gosh we're all gonna die <laughs> um and then i play with kids and i'm like maybe we're gonna be okay yeah this is our future it's not gonna be too bad yeah yeah they do they're more open-minded and they're like they're they use their imagination and i think that that's something we have like we don't really understand like how detrimental that's been to us because when you can't imagine something that means you can only see what is Mm -hmm. and you can't imagine a new option a new way of being a new way of doing things like that's where you get you sunk into tradition so heavy that it's not just about tradition it's because you literally can't imagine something different being just as good or better it's like a lack of imagination because if you can if you have this way of doing things and you can imagine a better way that's like just as happy and secure and loving but even better then you're going to go after it but i think when we've lost that imagination and we think you know back in my heyday in high school that was the best of times (laughs) or like 
you know, the slogan <laughs> slogans on red hats. It's like back in the day was the good old days. I'm like, if you can't imagine a better world where like, we're all elevating, we're all benefiting, we're all winning. Like you don't have that imagination, that vision without vision, the people perish. But it's like, if you, because kids have that imagination, that's why I have so much hope in them is because you like when our when our parents were in school, they would have never thought that interracial marriage would ever be a thing. Much like my mom's school wasn't even integrated, um, and so someone had the imagination of what if this wasn't a big deal, mm-hmm. and like we actually let people live their lives and love who they love. At that point, it was interracial marriage, and then and it might just be okay, and things will be wonderful. And look, and I'm like, so maybe can we imagine that let the, the queers and the gays and the days love who they love and teach kids um, love and compassion, acceptance and all that. And it just might be OK. It's, right. it's not going to crumble and burn and <laughs> we might actually thrive. Right. And so, yeah, we need that. And so any way that we can nurture that in the kids, I'm like I don't want to ever squish that in my own children. How do you feel like you've nurture that in yours because they're so imaginative and creative so do you play with them do you get in there and like be silly with them too I do and I mean I don't know that I can take credit for their (laughs) wild imaginations because they imagine things I would never dream of um but we do I mean we play a lot we read a lot of books um I encourage imagination and and I also push back whenever I feel like they start getting rigidity, mm. you know, from society. Like, you know, they start coming home from school and they're talking about pinkest for girls. And I'm like, nope, mm. I'm, I'm <laughs> buying a book about that, you know. <laughs> and so, But then, you know, and that was probably a year ago. And then the other day, pink is still Layla's favorite color. And we mm-hmm. were talking about pink. And I said, so the other day. That I'm going to ask her a trick question and see what happens. I said, Layla, is pink a girl's color or a boy's color? She goes, Mom, it's both. <laughs> and I was like, it's working. It's working. So, but it, it's interesting to watch children because all those rigid ideas, it's so clear that they're not born with them. So clear. You know, it's from the show they watched. It's from walking down the toy aisle at Target. I mean, I yes. love Target, but like. The conditioning. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you get these ideas. Um, and so I do try to be intentional about, you can't, you can't push back against everything. It's everywhere. Right. Um, but to try to, when I see that black and white thinking creep in, mm-hmm. say, well, what about, you know, I, 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 blue is mommy's favorite color and mommy's a girl. Mm. And they're like, oh. They'll always remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're teaching them at least the critical thinking skills. Yeah. Even if it's you can't be there to help them challenge everything or, or t- for you to challenge it, they're going to start feeling safe and okay with being like, mm, is that really necessarily true? Yeah. Yeah. Or like that. one of my favorite stories of they one day um, they were like, mom, what color is God's hair? Oh, my and, gosh. That's so And cute. I was like, um... <laughs> Kindle the theologian does not know how to answer this question. <laughs> and I said, well, I think it can be whatever color you want it to be. And Layla goes, I want her to have pink hair. Oh. And then Granada goes, I want her to have brown hair like me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. And they have the freedom to, to do that and see that, like, that's so special that they're not being taught what to think even the imagery like of their the person that they 
find, you know, peace mm-hmm. and power and hope and protection and safety. We like you could, if you want her to have pink hair, then so be it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and they totally think God is a woman. 100%. Like anytime they see a photograph of a beautiful woman, they'll be like, mom, is that God? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Oh, how did that happen? Was it just, <laughs> I, I guess just being my kid. I yeah. Just books um, and specifically a beautiful woman, <laughs> not a plain I, one. Well, yeah, they, it's like if, if a woman is like fancy, oh, you know, okay. they, yes. they, for whatever reason, I, I don't actually know where that came from specifically. Like regal? Yeah. 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 Um, mm, on a throne maybe. Yeah. But, but I do, I mean, I frequently switch out metaphors, I mean, not metaphors, switch out pronouns Mm -hmm. for God. Um, And and we've actually talked about the fact that God, you know, doesn't Doesn't have have a gender gender and, you know, and so um, the other day Layla was like, out of nowhere, she's like, mom, is Jesus both? And I was like, both what? She was like, both boy and girl. (laughs) She's like, duh, mom. I was like, oh. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go with yes. I'm gonna go with yes <laughs> because we don't know. <laughs> Later, we'll talk about historical verses, right? <laughs> but maybe right. not at five. Oh, that's so refreshing that you know they can ask those questions and um, you know not be <laughs> told like you have to think a certain way and or or else you'll get kicked out of school or you'll we right. won't love we won't love you as much. Yeah. You know, because so much we see so much of people like their mental health being sacrificed or whatever, because into adulthood, they have no idea who they are. They have no Mm -hmm. idea what they think or how they feel about anything. Cause from a very young age, they've always been taught what to think, feel, do whatever. And so then you have like zombies walking around who just at some point don't even know who they are at like 45 years old. And it's like, how do you start, you know, now? And it's just an undoing. It's a breaking up Mm -hmm. with, everything and that's so scary and I think that's one thing I'm sure we'll acknowledge and talk about on other shows is like what happens when you start chipping away at one thing like the fabric of everything we've been taught and I think why people avoid it is because it starts to unravel everything and can almost lead to a sports like a it's a spiritual awakening but it's like almost a type of psychosis that it can be where like ever the fabric of everything you've ever been taught about society, about gender roles, about relationships, about uh, credit <laughs> and like the scam that that is like everything starts to come apart and you're like, oh, though my whole ground um, isn't even like this isn't real. But then you get to choose and pick like this makes sense to me. This seems right. This and you and you build upon that. But for a while, it can get a little disorienting for people because you know, our whole fabric of our society is built on like us agreeing on everything yeah, and having the same opinions on things. Yeah. Yeah. And and yet if in the middle of all that falling apart, if you can like reconnect in with your inner child, yes. you know, to bring it back to the children, like who were you before, before you learned all these lessons about how things have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Y'all don't see me, but I'm nodding so hard. Because <laughs> that's always the direction when people ask me and I don't have any answers. Like I don't have an answer. They're like, well, what do I do? X, Y, Z. And I'm always like, what did, what did you enjoy as a child? Or what did you like to do before anybody told you any different? Yeah. Who were you? Yeah. Man. 
It's like, and that even speaks to like me now owning a dance fitness studio. It wasn't until I opened the doors January 1st and I'm sitting there and we're about to get started and it hit me. Like you would think up until that point, I'd be like, oh, whenever I was little, I wanted to st- like, this is why I'm doing this. I had no idea. I just knew I needed to do it. I wanted mm-hmm. to do it. It brings me joy. It makes me happy. keeps me healthy. And then I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, five-year-old me. I've always had this story. I've shared with a few people when they're like, oh, you dance. Like they've seen me out or whatever dancing. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you, you, you dance. I was like, yeah, you know, I, I wasn't dancing when I was five, but my mom took us out because we couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. And I always got a huge knot in my throat and like mm-hmm. still to the, like right now it's there. Mm-hmm. And it's just the idea of like, I missed out on a calling or it was something that I knew was like supposed to be part of my life. And because of money, which also is, you know, another story for another day, but just like my relationship with money. Um, But it was like, oh, because we couldn't afford it. And I was like, how tragic that a child wouldn't get to dance because of like the way society set up, you know, you need money for that. And so um, to come full circle at 36 years old and divorced and, you know, queer and all the things that have changed. And I'm like, opening up a dance studio and I'm like five-year-old me like this is this is what I wanted to do like I have found my way home yeah because like I remember I remember the little pink it was like a double-eyed trailer that was like a dance studio that they had turned into a dance studio and I remember the slow-mo walking away of my mom being like yeah we can't go back like the Mm. after this season you know the dance recital she's Mm -hmm. like it's too expensive the costumes and everything And I still remember that day Mm. of being like walking away from this thing that gave me so much life and, and that loss, that was a loss. It was like, like you said, like a funeral almost like that loss. And then when I, when I was standing in the studio, it hit me like a ton of bricks and I was just crying. I was like, oh, five-year-old me is really happy. I get to go, I walk into my studio every day and I can just like dance and spin. I have mirrors, like these huge mirrors that cost way too much money. And I'm dancing in front of my mirrors. And I'm like, the only thing now is like, I want to get, I want to get, prof- I want to get trained. Cause I want to know, you know, mm-hmm. I can dance hip hop, but I want to know how to do the other things too. But I get this, this wide open space and I'm like, I did this. Like yeah. I did this for me, for my inner, just following the intuition, following mm-hmm. that inner knowing and not even knowing where it was leading or why. And, yeah. and here it is little five-year-old hopes in our little studio mm-hmm. every day. So congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. I yeah. just, you can trust that. Like I yeah. would tell people you can trust it cause it'll, it'll lead you the right way, you know, more than anything else out here. You can, you can trust your, your inner child. I was like, has I opened my phone and look at my kids, cute faces. So, um, are there any resources like books or podcasts or movies that you recommend for individuals going through any type of breakup or things that maybe have helped you or. Well, I'll say, I mean, there's more and more podcasts these days. If you're, if you're breaking up with evangelical Christianity, there's a lot out there now. Oh, nice. Um, but the book that was the most important for me, um, was the dance of the dissident daughter by Sue Monk kid, um, where she also grew up Southern Baptist and kind of takes this journey on, uh, healing her, her feminine wound. Um, Mm. and so that's my that's my favorite one of my favorite. And the dance time. of the dissident. The dance of the dissident. Have you not read it? No. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, I've read it like multiple times. It's dance. No. Yeah. Right. Right. It's destined. It's destiny. Uh, what's the, what's the author's name? Sue Monk Kid. You know she she wrote the Secret Life of Bees. Yeah. She wrote recently her latest book was the Book of Longing. So she writes more fiction now, um, but 
the dance of medicine and daughters awesome. a nonfiction. what account. are some of those podcasts that you said like for people breaking up with evangelical patriarchal you know christianity or religion or anything what are what are some of your favorite podcasts or even just one maybe oh that my you listen gosh. to um i remember one i can't remember the name of it but matthew de stefano maybe let me let me google it okay while you talk to us um i mean there are, are quite a few um I, I I don't even listen to them as much as I have my clients talk about the podcast they're, right. listening, they're listening to. Um, I mean, and speaking of uh, your favorite author, you mentioned Glennon Doyle earlier. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We like, can always say you that. You know, we can do hard things, even though that's not aimed at religious deconstruction. Uh, uh-huh. There's a there's a lot um, happening there. Um, Let's see. Oh, did you find it? There's, he's apparently... Goes on like lot. He does interviews with um lots of different podcasts. So this is not church podcast, and yes, I, I know there's one that was like maybe one of the first when podcasting first became a thing, and especially like Christian deconstruction, mm-hmm. like that was um a new concept, strangely. Right. And yeah. so there was a podcast that I was listening to back then that really helped me feel less alone. But. I even did, I even did a podcast for a while called um, Discovering Wholeness that was uh, it was m- myself and then um, two therapists and we were talking oh, nice. about spiritual and religious trauma specifically. So it was less deconstruction but more about mm-hmm. the 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 trauma piece of what that harmful theology oh, that's does so to good. you. Oh my gosh, that's and so helpful. Recovering from it. Yeah, because a lot of people in my in my coaching, life coaching, I've been drawing in um, people who are recovering from um, like a narcissistic abuse mm. and some like higher grade, like real life, like and then some of it where I'm like, has your father ever been? They're like, yeah. Our family therapist told him that he had some tendencies. I'm like, yeah, because you could see the 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 trauma on the child or mm-hmm. like as, as an adult now of how it affected them. So I imagine that recovering from church stuff also you would have like trauma and signs of trauma and need ways to heal therapeutically not just like rituals and everything are are huge but also like the your brain like how Mm -hmm. it harm can harm your brain and your neural pathways and stuff like that so what's it called your podcast uh discovering wholeness is it still out there it it, yeah we haven't done any new seasons but it still exists okay i want to go listen to it yeah thanks for sharing that Okay. And in closing, do you have a word of advice, um, a takeaway you want the audience to take note of? Just in general. Yeah. In general. Because like I was thinking of like what you told me was one good thing, like word of advice yeah. about like just taking care of your in relationships or in anything like in the workplace, whatever, take care of yourself and the rest will, if, if something falls away from you, it's not meant for you. Yeah. So do you have another like kind of mantra maybe that you live by or? Well, you know, I think I talked about this a little bit earlier in this episode of this idea that we can really only be faithful to the only thing we have control of is our faithfulness to ourselves and our own integrity. Because anytime you're in relationship, that inevitably means there's another person, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? And you can't control what they do or how they choose to, to respond or interact. And so you know, being true to myself, um, is the one thing I can definitely choose over and over again. Um, 
and sometimes that leads me into relationship and sometimes that leads me out of relationship. Yeah, such a good compass. Um, but the one, the one person I'm not going to ever break up with is me. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. You'll always be there with you. Like you, I mean, how many times have we broken our own hearts? You yeah. know, the self abandonment right. is such a huge thing that, um, you know, it's like not a word you hear until you start in yeah. the, like a healing journey, like how much we self abandon. I was like, that was the most heartbreaking thing. And to watch myself do it over and over again. Like when you said you kind of noticed where you were like, oh, shoot, I'm in another abusive relationship. Like there are moments where over the past five years, I would recognize I was like self abandoning again. And it could be in the smallest of ways or big ways, but it could be something as simple as like, if I said, um, like, I'm not gonna like drink you know, any alcohol or eat any sweets or whatever it is, something I could have made up for myself, a goal. And then because someone else wanted mm-hmm. me to, or mm-hmm. invited me to, or was like, Oh, and then you just, those little ways that we self abandon our goals or our, um, rituals or our structures. And, um, yeah, just something we want to do something we want to pursue. And somebody says, Oh, you don't want to do that. That's lame or whatever. And you just, those little ways chip away at you and you just start abandoning it's that inner child again that that sense of safety and and being home within yourself and being there for yourself and you being your own best friend and you being your own first slip true love and everything um yeah and and you it affects your like your your neuro not not your your parasympathetic like your nervous system Mm -hmm. i've noticed is when you are faithful to yourself and you are safe with yourself and you take care of yourself how it calms everything else down and so like signs of anxiety and like the physical symptoms of, of anxiety and depression and things like that, how it kind of like things started to ease up for me, the more that I stayed faithful and true to me and I wasn't leaving her behind Mm -hmm. and just chasing somebody else's desires. Yes. So beautiful Kendall. I love that. Stay true to you. And (laughs) I've had a boss who was like, to thine own self be true. And he would always say that. I'm like, I was like 19. I'm like, stop being weird. Leave me alone. He would always say like, know thyself. And so like, but he was right. He was trying to teach me something, man. And I was just too young to understand. All right, great. So where can people find you online and your books? Tell them. To. Yeah. Uh, so I have a website, Kendall Ray Rathis. The, mo- the only thing is you've got to like know how to spell my name right <laughs> but my, my instagram my website my facebook they're all the same so k-y-n-d-a-l-l and then ray r-a-e and rothus r-o-t-h-a-u-s and if you get the spelling down you can find me in all the places um yes. or you can just google thy queendom come and my name will pop up and there you be, go that might thy be easier come. <laughs> and preacher bread and preacher bread those are my two books so well. far more coming yay good yeah i have that queendom come too it's 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 on my nightstand with all my books that are halfway read (laughs) (laughs) type seven on the enneagram right here i do that too though i start book and then like another book comes along that i'm interested in and i start it before i finish yeah now i'm gonna go home and finish it because you're here and i want to i want to finish it Thank you so much for being here and being my first ever guest on the breakup baddie. And I'm sure I'm going to want you to come back on again because you have so much wisdom and <laughs> I thought you were going to say you insight. have so many breakups. <laughs> <laughs> 
well, <clears throat> no, <laughs> but you have helped so many people navigate through that. And like, I think there's some things that we talked about, like trauma and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, we should, we should come back and talk about things. So thank you for being here though. And, um, I just, I hope everyone out there got some, something they can, implement in their own lives and maybe some, whether it's ritual or just something, a little nugget of truth that you can, you can use to, um, help you break up with anything or whatever's holding you back from living your best life, your highest self, your, um, just finding your soul's blueprint and, and living that out. So find, find me on, uh, Instagram, any other social medias of the breakup baddie and breakupbaddie.com. That's the breakupbaddie.com. And I'm going to link, um, all of Kendall's social medias and her website too on mine. So that way, in case you forget how to spell her name, you'll be able to find it through me and, um, yeah, go show her some love too. And thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Subscribe to the Breakup Baddie podcast now, available anywhere you get your podcasts. Find me on all social media platforms at The Breakup Baddie or email thebreakupbaddie at gmail.com. It's time to break free and unleash your true potential. Remember, the power to change your life is in your hands. So let's do this.